Welcome, everyone. We're here to talk about why giving talks at Postgres conferences matters. This is Path to CytusCon Episode 3. Our producers are Carol Smith and Aaron Wislang. I'm Pino DeCandia. And I'm Claire Giordano. If you're attending live, we would like to remind you that you can join our text chat in the CytusCon channel under the Path to CytusCon E03 thread in Discord. Okay, so I'm, let's uh, introduce our two guests. Um, I'm honored to introduce Alvaro Herrera. Alvaro has been a Postgres committer since 2002 and works at EDB, formerly Second Quadrant. Alvaro is a promoter of free and open source software in Chile in general, and he was the organizer of PG Day Chile in 2019. Hi, Alvaro. Hello, I'm honored to be here. Well, really glad and, to have you. And before we go too far into jumping into a discussion, I also want to introduce Boris Mejias, who is a senior solution architect at EDB. He volunteers and organizes conferences in Europe and coordinates the Postgres user group in Belgium. Um, more recently, Boris was a speaker at CytusCon, an event for Postgres, which happened just a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and his talk was called Postgres Storytelling, Support in the Darkest Hour, which I highly recommend people watch. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of many of the talks that the incredible cast of speakers gave at CytusCon. Um, but there was something very unique about Boris's storytelling talk. Um, and I think it's a super interesting way to teach people. And I hope we, we unpack it a little bit um, and explore um, how that came about. Welcome, Boris. Thank you very much, Claire. And thanks for the invitation. I'm super happy to be here, especially sharing with Alvaro um, once at this stage. We've been friends for for a very long time and since last century, actually. And I'm super happy to, to be with him. Yeah. Well, the thanks two for the of you went, the two of you went to grad school together, right? Yes, right. in Chile, yeah, in, in Universidad Chile. de Chile in Santiago, yeah. Okay, and is that when you both um, began your careers in Postgres? Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah, Go ahead. we had a, a summer project, and Alvaro was um, in charge of uh, doing all the the background um, part, and he he decided to use Postgres after a, a very serious analysis of what was was available at the time, two thousand and one. Was this? And then he needed a, a front-end developer, so he contacted me, and then we started to work together. So that was my first project with uh, Postgres as well. And actually, it's, it's, it's good to see, because we were discussing a few weeks ago that uh, one of the founders of that company, at the time there were like four people only, he was like celebrating like 22 years uh, in the company. So we said, oh, wow, it's been a long time <laughs> since, since that project that we did together at that time. Yeah. Alvaro continued working with Postgres uh, immediately after that, so... I decided to go in a different path. I went to academia and did some research, but also related to, to databases anyway. So, yeah. Okay. And then eventually you came back to Postgres. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Once I was doing the PhD, I started to do some research on, on implementations of um, two-phase commit, actually. And at that time, I, I read the code of Postgres and said, wow, I should be doing this stuff again. I, it's, it's really robust software and, and then and then i started to work again with postgres yep so um before we dive into the high level question that we're here to talk about today which is why giving talks 
at Postgres conferences matters, or frankly, you could insert any open source conference, open source developer conference there. Um, I actually do want to unpack your CitusCon talk for just a second. Um, Postgres storytelling support in the the darkest hour. And I, I'm curious, Alvaro, did you get a chance to watch that yet? I know the recording um, is available as part of the live stream, but it hasn't been published yet, not till next Monday as an individual talk. So maybe you have not yet seen it. I have not. I'm sorry. Okay. But, but so Alvaro, I have. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, but this is Monica DBA stories. You know Monica, right? All right. Yeah, I've seen that one as a, some one talk of, uh, of those. So, so first of all, shout out to the artist. Um, so for people, for people in the audience who are not familiar with what I'm talking about, in in this talk, instead of um, trying to teach technical concepts um, with the traditional techniques that we use, like demos and code blocks and screenshots um, of that show people, not just tell people what to do, tell people how to solve a problem, but show them how to solve a problem. Um, what Boris did is he did a storytelling technique. Um, maybe somebody can drop the, the link to the that bookmark place in the live stream so people can go watch it later if they want. Um, but he, he used illustrations that were absolutely drop-dead gorgeous and walked us through the story of this she's not a real person is she monica dba i will keep that uh, information without disclosing anything so okay I so she may or may that. not she may or may not be a real person um i and the reason i thought that is the last name is dba which i thought was a, a made-up name because it sounds like dba um, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh Anyway, and, and it talks through um, the problems that she's having with her system in the dark of the night after everybody has left the office and something's going wrong. And it's I think it's the transaction ID wraparound problem that she's struggling exactly. with. And uh, it, it's just super cool to to learn by by storytelling. Um, so and I'd I like to chime in. People do that. I'll just chime in and say I watched the talk last week and I, and I really loved it. Um, the the, um, the live stream was during EU hours and, and too late for me, so I watched the recording. Um, but it occurred to me both that it was a great change in pace in terms of how we watch technical content, especially if you're watching many um, 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 excuse me, presentations in a row. And so it engages, engages you differently. Uh, storytelling, the storytelling technique is really great. Um, Boris, I really liked your pacing in it. And then the story is engaging. You know, um, Monica goes to uh, get to the pub to have a beer with 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 her colleague, and then and they discuss um, um, transaction IDs and and the wraparound problem. And then Monica ends up having to debug that, uh, having to to deal with problems um, related to transact to monitoring and um, and um, preventing transaction ID wraparound uh, the next day. And I thought it was captivating. Um, so immediately I was wondering, wow, you've done, have you done this before? What made you think of that? Where'd you get that, uh, that idea? Oh, thank you for, for the feedback. I mean, this is one of the things that I was wanting to have feedback on this type of uh, presenting material because it is still new to me. This is the third presentation that I give in this format. The first two were also online talks. And I was thinking like, I mean, in the time of the pandemic, we were all doing kind of webinars, let's say, uh, webinars and, and, and online conferences. And we were trying to emulate 
a real in-person conference. And it was super tiring and it was difficult to get feedback from the people because you don't see the audience. So it's completely different uh, stuff. And then I was saying, okay, if I'm going to do something online, I should probably do something that I cannot do in person. So to really have a, an added value of uh, doing it online. Otherwise, we're just emulating what we want to do in person. And then I said, okay, well, well, what are the ideas that I have <laughs> that could work in this? And I was having this idea for a long time like, to tell stories. And actually came after I read a book, uh, The Phoenix Project, that I thought was really good uh, in terms of storytelling uh, about um, CICD uh, techniques. And I wanted to do something like that for, for Postgres. And then it came out the idea with Monica DBA. I remember I was in Milan and I was talking with my colleagues uh, for, from support, uh, Katerina and Anna, and they're, they're super good. And I said, okay, maybe, maybe this should be something that, uh, that I could tell people. Like, I mean, what is the work of support? Because I've, I've done support as well. And, and that's how I came into it. Now I discovered also there's this book, um, A Curious Moon, which does kind of the same. And I would really like to get to that level. I mean, try to write stories. I mean, not just giving a presentation, uh, but kind of putting it in a format that people can read about it. And luckily, I have the the, the luck to to work with um, with Scarlett Riggs. She's as as Claire was saying, she's an incredible, um, talented uh, illustrator. And I remember that I, I didn't give a description of Monica to her. I, she asked me to describe her. And I said, "Well, I don't know. I mean." I will tell you her personality and the things that she does and all these kind of things. And she came up with the drawings that, that I thought that were really, really amazing. And then every time that I have a new idea for a talk, I, I discuss a little bit with her and she understands immediately uh, the technical um, part. And then she makes the illustrations super nice. The previous one was about idling transaction. And this is when she came up with the elephant inside a, an hourglass, which is super cool. So I really, I really like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky to, to work with talented people as well. So that's how, this is what Monica DBA um, is about. And yeah, you know, get you get some, some feedback from people. So, so maybe I will do more of those. Yeah. You, you could argue that you can tell a good story without beautiful, magical illustrations, right? Because your voice and the words you choose and even the, the pauses in your story, um, can entrance people, but having that those magical illustrations by Scarlet Riggs um, really added like a whole nother level. And I mean, there's no reason learning can't be fun, and you made it, I think, more fun. So uh, I appreciated it. Oh, thanks. All right, and then um, I just want to shout out the book that you mentioned, A Curious Moon. Um, hopefully, I, I can drop a link in later, or maybe Aaron can now. Um, I think that Rob Connery is the author of that. And um, he is not on my direct team here at Microsoft, but he does he does work in the cloud dev, dev advocacy group here at Microsoft. And I'm a big fan of that book as well. Um, it's pretty awesome. Okay. Uh, so we're here to talk about why giving talks at Postgres conferences matters. Um, Alvaro, why don't, why don't we start with you? I would love to kind of hear your, your high-level answer to that question. Well, I think the main reason is that uh, giving talks uh, gives us the opportunity to grow the Postgres community. And growing the Postgres user community means we also grow the Postgres development community, um, both directly because 
some of those users become eventually developers. And also indirectly because uh, those users, as they interact with the software, provide very useful feedback for what uh, should we do next and how to evolve uh, the software in a way that serves everybody. Uh, so uh, these talks, so I, I think there are two sorts of uh, conferences that are slightly different. Uh, we have Postgres conference proper, where Postgres users come and, and learn about things. And there's also the conferences of other types, uh, like gen general open source conferences, or I don't know, um, container conferences or database conferences, where we expand the world of uh, Postgres to people who don't uh, currently use Postgres. So um, the type of talk that we give to either of those audiences uh, gives uh, different uh, benefits to the Postgres community. Um, so as we uh, grow the, the, the community to new users, obviously we gain the input of people who is, who is working from up for up, uh, with other databases. And those have different ideas of how a database should work. So that's uh, another thing uh, we get. Have you, have you ever had trouble like prioritizing the time that it takes? I mean, these conference talks don't just happen. They take a lot of work behind the scenes to conceptualize them, create them, practice them, right? Um, and then travel sometimes when it's in person to deliver them. Is it, is it hard to make it a priority for you or not? Well, um, I, I have a family, so I uh, have uh, limited, um, uh, how, how to say that, uh, a, a limited amount of uh, time that I give for conferences. I don't like to travel more than, say, two or three times per year. Um, so that limits how many uh, talks I'm willing to give. And of course, the preparation, the time for, to prepare for each conference uh, is, uh, I don't know, is high. I, I don't like doing talks where I spend just a little uh, to prepare slides and, and, and material. So um, to be honest, I don't limit myself. I just do as much as needed. And because I don't do many, then that, uh, that is what becomes the limit. Got it. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Oh, uh, sorry. One last point. One last point is that I don't repeat talks. Uh, some people give, this, give the same talks over and over. Um, so that means you, you only have to spend the time to prepare the talk once and then give it many times. I, for some reason, I don't like to do that. So that uh, also, it also becomes a limit, a limit. Okay. Pino? I was going to come back to, to your point, Alvaro, about um, um, different communities that you give talks to. You're thinking about the audience, and um, it needs a different approach. How do you go through that process, and, and do you set a goal for not just what the, what the audience will take away, but what you'll take away, given that the audience, especially in the case where the audience isn't maybe not um, familiar, as familiar with Postgres? 
I don't think so. I mean, uh, in my first presentations uh, many years ago, I just tried to present what uh, the, the the topic at hand without thinking too much about uh, what the audience was going to get. Uh, then at some point I realized that that was a waste of their time and my time because they they many people were listening to a talk and weren't getting too much value. So I realized <clears throat> that I had to think very carefully about what value would I would the audience get from my talk. And that means I, my approach to the talk becomes completely different uh, depending on whether the audience is uh, technical guys, uh, developers, or um, uh, decision makers. So uh, that, that comes by direct experience because I gave a very deep talk about left, uh, sorry, outer joints to a bunch of uh, company CTOs and that was a complete failure. But um, I do not think about what I am getting from the talk. Um, so I think that's a really good point, that that learning of focusing on the audience and what they need and where they're coming from and having empathy for, um, you know, the fact that they're probably not as expert as you or don't know what you know um, is, is super important. And... Um, Oh, you've you've said so many things. I mean, there's also the notion of failure. Every good conference speaker has a couple of failed conference presentations in their background, right? Like, you, it's just Absolutely. natural. You got to be willing to fail. Okay, so we've got a bunch of things we need to circle back on that Alvaro has touched on here. But I want to cut over to Boris for a second and ask you the high-level question. Why do you think giving talks at Postgres conferences matters, or frankly, any open source developer conference. Why, why spend yeah, well, the time? Yeah, first of all, I don't think it's part of our, any of our um, job description, neither for Alvaro or for myself. Uh, so that's why Alvaro was mentioning his limited time with the family because he has it on the extra time apart from all the job that he he does. And then it's not my my description of work either. I think we need to do a little bit of a. Um, advocating but it's not really like a, you have to give that many talks per year now we we do as many as, as we can and it is important in the sense that for instance alvaro the fact that he is a core developer it gives the community the sense that um the core developers are close to the people that are using the software it's not just about uh we release the software that we are developing in our in our home and, and then you use it how you you will know alvaro does it because he wants to hear how people is using the software. And, and, and I think that's super important because I mean, for many other software that we use, we never know who is developing that stuff. And the fact that you go to Postgres conferences and you meet the core developers, if you go to FOSDEM, you meet plenty of core developers, super nice. So that's, that's a, a very important that in conferences, you can meet the, the real workers of the, of the software itself. So it builds the community, that's one thing. Uh, in my case, that I don't develop Postgres, but I do work a lot with um, projects with customers that are using um, Postgres, it is a way of extracting all those different cases that we see that people have uh, trouble with or have uh, some patterns of solving things and then present them to the broader community and say, like, look, if you have this type of problem, then 
this is one way of solving it and and it enhances the the, the entire knowledge of the entire community and and for instance getting back to to other communities when when you you were saying claire that this is not about postgres any open source project i remember that uh, when i was working with alfresco which is a um, kind of commercial open source stuff and they were stopping the developers conferences the community itself organized and we created the order of the bee with the intention that we wanted to share the knowledge between us so sharing knowledge is something that comes automatically with people that work in open source and free software because that's one part of the core values of having open source I mean, that you can learn things and share that knowledge with other people so um that's another thing i mean in my, my case is also to to uh, abstract patterns and understanding how things are being solved uh, for, for for many people and get feedback about whether that's, there are better ways of solving the same problem or not. Yeah. I do repeat uh, talks, by the way. <laughs> I don't have the same approach as Alvaro. But it's never never exactly the same talk. Like, I mean, they talk about table partitioning. I think I've given it like uh, three times and it's, uh, it's always different. I, I localize it a little bit depending on the conference that I'm giving. And I, I get feedback from people and I try to improve that in the next time that I give the talk. I actually do the same thing. I will give the same talk again, but I improve it each time. I try to incorporate the feedback I got from the previous version. Um, and I don't know, Alvado, if you disagree, but you know, some of the smaller Postgres conferences, like a lot of the PG days, for example, they don't videotape or record the conference. So it's only valuable to the 200 people who were in the room. And so I find giving it again makes that knowledge more accessible to more people. It basically shares it more broadly. Now, if it's been videotaped and it's a high quality video recording, then you could argue it would make more sense for me to create a new talk. And so sometimes I do. Yeah, I, I agree. I am not saying that it is uh, valueless. I'm just saying that um, I don't feel comfortable doing it. Maybe it, it it's I should be doing uh, the way uh, both uh, of you described, which is to improve the talk and give it again. Because then um, eventually a very good uh, quality version of the talk becomes videotaped and then that is valuable for the whole world. It seems to me there's something interesting about the um, roles um, each of you play. As, as a committer, Alvaro, perhaps your time is best spent talking about different topics that you can go very deep on. Um, and then others can th that are trying to focus more on sharing knowledge and propagating the knowledge can repeat, re can repeat talks because there's always a more audience that didn't get a chance to watch it previously. And, and it's always more fun to watch live, or, or it's often more fun to watch live. Mm, I hadn't thought about giving talks to other speakers. <laughs> rather than directly to users. So uh, lately I've been finding, uh, I've, I've had a hard, a hard time finding good topics to speak about because my work is normally uh, stuff that is down deep into the bowels of the, of the system. So I think, well, who cares about this? So I don't give talks about that. Maybe that's a mistake, I don't know. I can give you plenty of ideas, Alvaro. We need to talk. Can you throw out some ideas right now, buddies? Can I put you on the spot? 
Ah, right now. I mean, well, there are plenty of stuff of the of the improvements in in vacuum, for instance, all the parameters to explain what the parameters do actually. And in each release, there's one thing that is added or something like that. That would be one thing. Um, other things are like uh, parallel executions and those kind of things. Well, you also know a lot about uh, the um, brain index, which you have talked already about the brain index, but maybe right. explain some some use case because it's still people don't don't use it enough, I think. So those are at least three topics that you could be talking about. Yeah. Right, but you see brain indexes were done in uh, version 9.5, so that was like 10 years ago, uh, or six years ago. So at this point, who cares, right? Uh, that, that's, I mean, that's my, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, uh, that's, that's your point of view, exactly, right. yeah. No, but I mean, for instance, I, I, I even sometimes watch the same talk twice because I discover something different the second time that I, that I watch the talk. And that's for me something that, I mean, all because just, just the talk is fun. Right? <laughs> that could also be another reason to watch a talk uh, for the second time, yeah. I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, is even features that are in maybe new to Postgres 10, for example, or 9.2, and in, in the case of Brin indexes, like, um, it, the user may not be familiar with them yet. Like, they may not have been around. They may not have been using Postgres, right. you know, back then. And so what's, what's old to you can be new to your audience. Yeah. Um, I I, I'm glad we we're having these conversations because I'm discovering also so many things that I'm wrong about. No, 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 no. We are not here to tell you you were wrong. Oh my goodness, no. Uh oh. Yeah. We're going to give oh, you a bad reputation. Yeah, no, it's, it's just about repeating the topic. For instance, uh, I saw Claire's talk about how to make uh, posts and and make your 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 communication like more visible to people in in Berlin. And then I saw it again in Fostum in Brussels. And the second time that I saw it, I said like, oh, I didn't realize that this was also in the presentation. It was something that I discovered the second time that I watched the talk. So I think it's impossible to get the, the entire talk like once when you see it. The second time that you see it, you learn something. It's like watching a movie again. I don't know. Not all yeah. the movies are worth watching twice, of course. But uh, some of them is like, ah, I didn't realize this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you're telling me my talk was worth watching twice. Well, I, yeah. It, it, it was absolutely yeah i'll also add that i think people are doing interesting things with 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 uh recordings um we have so many recordings now so much content of course new content is always very welcome and again people appreciate live uh um, attending live but what i've started doing with uh folks um on my team is we watch uh recorded talks together because um there'll always be someone who knows a little bit more about the topic and if we, we can stop the video, um, take questions, start it again. Uh, so the recorded talks definitely are huge value. Of course, people have always been um, listening to them. Uh, you can see the watch, your watch count increases, you know, on whatever platform. Um, but but, but we, can, we can re inject a little bit of the live um, show experience by watching together. So wait, you watch together all in the same room? Or I I know the answer to that is no, because your team is distributed, right? You're all in different places. That's right. So um, I, I'm sure other pl um, other platforms have the same uh, feature, but uh, on, on Microsoft Teams, we can um, share the video um, in the meeting. And that way, we're all listening to the same audio at the same time. And uh, and that creates a great experience. So, and, and, and I can share controls so that anyone 
um, it's a you know we usually do this in a small group, and so anyone can stop the video and say, "Excuse me for a second, I just didn't understand that part." Uh, does anyone know what that meant? Huh. And oh, nice. it creates a nice yeah. interaction. I know Discord supports that as well. Um, I've been on the general stage here with Aaron, and uh, we popped up something from YouTube, and we were watching it together at one point. Um, so it's it's a nice capability to have multiple people watching. Could I ask a, a question? Um, um, I want to come back to something that um, Boris said about the importance of sharing knowledge for a uh, an open source community, and and Alvaro touched on this as well. Um, uh, the aspect of how much knowledge sharing do you need? And it seems like there's always so much to do, whether it's development tasks, uh, reviewing other folks' code, um, uh, our own projects, whatever that, that work is, and then knowledge sharing, um, blogs, presentations. Do you have a sense of how you can how you calibrate that? And not just at a personal level, but do you have a sense of whether you take into account the Postgres community needs more of the Postgres community needs to do more of this, and perhaps there was a time when it wasn't, and now it is. Or how much does that influence um, your participation, and how much you ask others to participate in this way? And I, I, I didn't uh, either one of you, Alvaro or Boris. Oh, well, in my case, I mean, I try to um, kind of pay attention to the questions that are being asked by the customers. And when I do training, I also try to get the, the, the questions that come over and over and I say, okay, maybe this is something that was uh, talking in a conference, like you kind of explain this, uh, like a, a broader audience. Um, and that's how I try to identify topics for for giving talks. And that the needs come from from there, from what I see on the field. If I want to, if you want to say like a, like that. So um, yeah, experience with with users mostly. Yep. That would be my way of trying to identify which kind of knowledge have to be shared. But for instance, last 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 episode, you were discussing about uh, people having trouble with host-based authentication. I thought that was that, that problem was already solved like many years ago. But now I realize that some people are using all the databases just because they cannot get around this host-based authentication. But then giving a talk about that is kind of difficult because no um, call for papers uh, committee is going to accept a talk on host-based authentication. But that means that we can do kind of a YouTube video or or something different um, to explain that again because people are still having troubles with that. So I think. Yeah, I mean, the need for, for knowledge sharing comes from trying to listen to what people are asking about and and then go there. Yeah, that, that's how I do it. Right. So when I was working for Second Quadrant, I mean, before the acquisition, I had plenty of uh, involvement with uh, customers uh, in, in like for um, uh, professional services, uh, like, like Boris says. And... That was a very productive mechanism to know what what features, what Postgres features to work on. Nowadays, I don't do that too much anymore. Um, so I kind of feel like I've lost a bit of touch with that. I still get that from the community mailing list. And that uh, once a feature is done, of course, I can make a... 
conference talk about the the new feature. Um, but my current uh, professional work with Postgres at EDB seems to relate more to fixing bugs, and those I don't think give uh, too too many conference uh, interesting conference talk topics as much as new features or future expansions. I feel like you can go either way. I, 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 when I try to have empathy for people in the audience, obviously they want to know and understand how to use the new things, the new features. So that's obvious like content for future conference talks, but there are also pain points um, or things that are complicated that maybe they don't fully understand yet. And that also gives fodder. And that, that goes back to what Boris was saying a few minutes ago about, you know, listening to whether it's users or people in customer support, right? The inspiration for Monica Debia. Um, like, what, what are those trouble spots? What are those pain points? Where do people get stuck? Um, and then, of course, there's also getting started. Like, anybody new, you know, they're starting from a blank sheet of paper, or maybe they're starting from knowledge of another database, right? And so they've got a whole bunch of things they need to learn. And so those introductory talks, I feel like, are always useful. What what else? So new features, pain points, getting started. Are there other obvious categories of useful talk content out there? Well, obviously, uh, how to become a Postgres hacker is a very good talk. Yes. And how to review patches and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I am thinking about stuff that... Uh, revolves around Postgres development rather than Postgres usage. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I gave, for instance, a talk in which is the other spectrum. I think we we, we complement each other a lot, uh, Alvaro. Yes. The I, in Nordic PG day, I gave a talk about JSON usage, and what I did is I went to Stack Overflow and I searched for the top ten questions, and I answered those questions in in the talk. But I didn't go like one question after the other, so. Again, I tried to build up um, a use case, and within the use case, I was answering the questions. And of course, talking about metal music, uh, which is one of my favorite topics. So it's... I tried to mix. Uh... I mean, Jason sounds like really metal stuff. Um, <laughs> sounds like a killer character in a movie or something. Here comes Jason. <laughs> um, I know that one of my teammates gave a talk at PGConf EU about um, going back to what Alvaro was saying about how to become a Postgres hacker. And it was him sharing his story about the first six months of um, becoming a Postgres hacker. And and then he gave that talk again um, at PG Day Paris a few months later. So, um, and that's kind of another category of like, not quite today I learned, but um, you know, what I learned. Um, as I was doing X for the first time. And I think people always appreciate those as well, right? Because a lot of people, whether they're expert or beginners, have empathy for those kind of, you know, first experiences and sharing their observations um, as a newcomer. Yeah, that was a very good talk. I saw it also in PG Day Paris. I was there. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was there. Um other other categories of really useful Postgres conference talks. We've got pain points, new features, how to get started, how to become a Postgres hacker, um, how to um, create Postgres patches. 
something that I would like to see a little bit more, and I cannot do it personally, is like uh, people having their experience with Postgres, like uh, people who are not working with Postgres as the main thing, but they are doing something else and they use Postgres, even even just sharing their 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 failure that could be also something very interesting like uh, oh, we try to implement uh, logical replication but we fail on this this and that please help us to understand why that would be a very useful talk maybe meetups will be a better uh, place instead of conferences i'm i'm not thinking about what i would like to see i'm just thinking about what the call for papers committee is going to accept because but I would like to see that in a conference, like use cases. We try it and we fail, or we try it and we were successful, but we still need to do these other steps. So people just using Postgres and just saying like, a, we implemented, I don't know, a pharmacy software, and this is how we use Postgres. I really would love to see that, more, more of that. Uh, I definitely agree that uh, use, uh, use uh, success stories are a good um, topic because it shows other users that Postgres can really do, uh, do whatever. There was a talk at FOSDEM PG Day. I'm looking up the schedule right now. Um, it was Nick's talk. Remind me what the top the title was. I'm trying to look it up. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, LFMF: How to uh, create index concurrently led to a six hour downtime, <laughs> and it was by Nick Bluth. And what does LFMF stand for? I have no it's idea, not... but the story was super good. I saw it in, yeah. in Nordic PG Day as well. Probably something about okay. laughing a lot. I, I think it was failure. I think one of those F stands for failure. Um, so, and I do think failure stories are really appealing. I mean, some people don't like to share them because it makes them feel vulnerable or like they might be judged. But when you, when you kind of um, are willing to be vulnerable in that way, people can learn a lot from your failure story and it's actually quite a generous gift, right? To, to share it. And there was a lot of laughter actually in the room yeah. um, during that presentation yeah. as you, cause you could kind of feel his pain as he was reliving it. So um, I, as I scribble notes here, Boris, I took your suggestion just now to people having their experience using Postgres as one category, but then failure, sharing your failures, tried to do this and it didn't work as another category that's super useful too. So LFMF means uh, learn from my failure, right? Oh, okay, cool. Oh, okay, no, yeah, right. Now I know. Well, so uh, the first two times that I gave a Monica DBA talk, I was doing kind of an audiobook. So I, I wrote the script and I read the script. That was the idea to record it. But then you convinced me to do it like a, like talking to somebody. And I was saying like, oh, I cannot do this, I cannot do this. And then I saw Nick doing this in Nordic PG Day. Oh. And he was really doing storytelling live. I said, wow. And I was wondering like, how how this this happened to him? And then I was wondering, while he was presenting the stuff, I said, oh, wow, maybe I can do this for, for Cytoscon. So, um, yeah, thank you, Nick, for, for giving that presentation because it convinced me that your idea, Claire, was very good. And, and that's how I, I managed to present it in the way I did in Cytoscon. Otherwise, I was just going to try to do the scripted thing again, but I think this one works really well. Yeah, it's a very yeah. good talk, uh, Nick. Yeah, yeah maybe I really like good... Oh, sorry, go, Claire, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really liked on the CytusCon recording, um, being able to see your face as you were telling the story. And <laughs> you told me that the inspiration for the storytelling technique was that your daughters had been growing older and you had all these fond memories of reading them stories. 
right? Telling them stories as a dad. And you thought, well, maybe I can do this with Postgres to other people now. And so just like when you're reading a story to somebody else, a young child in your family, they can see your face. And that's part of it. It's not just your voice. So I was really mm -hmm. happy that you did both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the suggestion. That was good. I was going to ask, since we're talking about getting um, ideas from other speakers, um, who are your favorite speakers on the circuit and why? In, in Postgres uh, in particular. No, I do have a favorite one. Uh, so uh, I was making, so somebody asked me this before and said, okay, there are plenty of names that are very good. And I said, well, if I have the top 10 speakers in a conference and they're all presenting at the same time, which one will be the one that I don't want to miss? And that for me is Thomas Vondra. He is such a good speaker because he's so, it's the same level of knowledge as Alvaro. And, and he adds a little bit of more uh, jokes. And this is what I, what I really like because his jokes are so dry that he, he comes up with, with these kind of things like uh, make you think a lot with, uh, with his presentations. Every time that I see one of his talks, it's like, wow, I need, to, I need to check this stuff when I get back home and I need to see these slides again and then try all this stuff. And, and he doesn't overdo it in terms of uh, trying to be funny. No, he, he just is Thomas presenting and then he's, he's super dry and, and, and I really enjoy watching him. It's, um, that's, that's the speaker that I never want to miss. If he's in a lineup for a presentation, I want to see his talks. That's the... Yeah, because it's a very good combination of knowledge and then bringing it in a in in a, in a funny way as well. Yeah, and I guess humor is an important part. I mean, not not all speakers absolutely uh, try to put humor in in their presentation. Yeah, and Boris has a very very good sense of humor, and that absolutely leads to the audience being very engaged with the with the topic of the talk. Are you whatever sure? it is. Alvaro, Alvaro, are you just being nice because you've known him for a long time? No, not I mean, at all. is Boris really that funny? Uh, to me, I, I definitely enjoy his talks very much. I also... Oh my God, you thought I was serious. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> of course, Boris is funny. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I've learned that uh, humor is like salt to, to food. I mean, it, it enhances your, the taste of your food, right. but you can have a, a plate just salt right. you, you need to have a content yeah. I, I learned also this by watching all the talks like uh how to add humor i i, I watch a lot of talks about how to give talks <laughs> and one of these was about uh i think it's a ted talk or tedx uh, about adding humor to your talks and the guy explained it very well i said like ah oh, yeah okay that's that's how it works if you add too much it's going to be too salty and then you mess up with the content. So you ha it's difficult to get that balance. Uh, so that's on one end, but what about the other end? I mean, I, I would imagine that some people don't think that humor is accessible to them. They might be willing to give a talk because they feel competent about the subject, but they might not feel com com uh, comfortable with, with humor. Is, do you think it's, it's, it's for anyone to add humor to their talks or it takes a certain kind of personality? Can I answer that one? I definitely think not because uh, I don't have the sense of humor that is needed to make jokes on stage. So I don't even try. Uh, my talks are, I would say, pretty much humorless. Um, and I'm sorry for that, but I really don't know how to do that. So um, do, you, do you substitute with something else, Alvaro? If, if, if humor is not your go-to, um, is there something else that you focus on to keep the audience engaged? 
uh, I just try to. I think uh, one thing is trying to make the examples. Uh, for example, if I am presenting a Postgres feature, I try to make the, the command examples something that uh, is a little bit alluring, so that people are not bored by me talking about select foo from bar, which means nothing. But uh, I don't know, constructing something that keeps people interested. If I can add some pictures about the thing, that's even better. Uh, but yeah, I think the yeah. knowledge that Alvaro has is also authority. I mean, everybody knows that Alvaro knows what he's talking about. Uh, so, so you have more confidence in to listen to what, what he's saying. And, and, and you know that you can ask any questions and he's going to answer you correctly unless he doesn't know and then he's going to sell, tell you i don't know right. and then it's like it's oh, okay important yeah. it's yeah. for speakers to know that it's okay not to know and it's really important to say i don't know right i mean yeah, that exactly. that gives you authority um i actually want to shine a light on something that alvaro just said which is using um interesting things in your examples um i don't know if any of you remember the talk that louise grandjean gave at PGConfU, probably back in Milan. So what is that, pre-COVID? And she might've given a similar talk at a DjangoCon conference. And um, she used like pop music stars in her data model and in her examples. And it made it just so much more interesting than if it was foo and bar, which as you said, are meaningless. Um, so I do think that's a way to connect, to have those um, examples that uh, kind of catch your attention. Another way to connect is just, I don't know, do you do this, Alvaro? Do you ever ask your audience questions, like, as part of the talk? Like, pause and stop and make it less of a lecture and more of a conversation. Or even just ask, show of hands, how many people have done X, Y, Z with this new feature? Yeah. Is that is that a Yeah, thing? I think that's a good resource. And I've done it uh, a couple of times. I, I learned to do that only recently, so it's not very long in my story, but... But yeah, yeah, it, those are good resources. Basically, anything to keep people off their phone. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it it doesn't take that much um, of either boredom or not being able to follow, and like as soon as you can't follow the speaker, as soon as you're lost, your brain is gonna try to find something else to think yeah. about, right? And what's the closest thing? It's probably your phone on your lap. So. Um, anything you can do to kind of keep somebody paying attention. So since, to... since we're talking, oh, I'm sorry, Claire, didn't mean to cut you off. No, you didn't, go, go, go. Um, since, since we're on the topic of sort of um, how a presenter's personality comes into play, I wanted to ask, um, are you an introvert or extrovert? And how does that affect how you prepare and how you give talks? Maybe Alvaro, could you take this? Yeah, so I'm definitely an introvert and it's, um... I find it very hard to, uh, in a normal situation outside of, of a talk, to engage in a conversation with people. So when I'm at a conference, uh, it is very useful to have given a talk uh, so that people approach me and we can speak and uh, about my topic and then we, we will, I, I will ask, what are you working on? And then conversation, uh, goes on from, from there. So uh, that's one thing I uh, definitely like about giving talks, which is to let me connect. Um, extroverts, uh, I think, 
do not have this problem about connecting with people. So they can go to a conference and connect with people without having given a talk. So for me, it's, it's so, so for you, yeah. Yeah, it's like your icebreaker. You give a talk as an icebreaker. Yeah, that's one way to 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 see it. Uh, <laughs> it's best if I can give the very first talk or or a very early talk, so I have the rest of the time to uh, connect. It really is a wonderful icebreaker. Um, not only does it give you something to talk about, but people will recognize you in the hallway, like you said, after you've given your talk, and they'll stop you. And um, you'll continue to get feedback and meet new people and and maybe feel a bit more welcome, um, even though you would have been welcome had you not been giving a talk, but you might not feel that way. You uh, know? Yeah. Boris, are you an extrovert? Uh, I, I understand I am. I mean, I, I never understood the question, uh, being an introvert or extrovert, because I, sometimes I look at what it is to be, and sometimes I keep things for myself, so maybe I'm an introvert as well, I don't know. But uh, my, my my reason for giving talks is that uh, also I learn a lot when I give talks. I, I have to prepare the talks a lot, and although I repeat some of the, the, the talks, I never repeat the same slide sets, so I try to... to uh, to learn while I help other people to learn. And from the feedback that I get is that because I can I can make jokes and, and all this kind of stuff, I can keep the attention of the people. And because I can keep the attention of the people, I manage to pass some concept that could be either boring or, or complex and make it accessible to people. So when I understood this, like, ah, uh, oh, my talks are really contributing to the knowledge sharing of the people, I kind of make it my own mission. <laughs> It's like, ah, I want to give more talks because I, I'm, I'm helping the community to learn about Postgres. And, um, and I like it. I like it a lot. So because I learn and, and I know that people can learn from that. So that's very good. When I was in Foster, I mean, last time uh, somebody asked, I was working with Alvaro, actually. We were working to the, to the room, to the Postgres room. And somebody asked us, hey, you guys know where is the Postgres room? We gave them direction. And then the guy looked at me and said, like, what are you giving a talk about Jason on, on YouTube? Uh, I said, well, yeah, 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 could be me. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it was you. And then... Uh, thanks to you, now I, I use JSON also in Postgres. Oh, wow, that's super cool. <laughs> so kind of convinced me, like, ah, okay, I'm doing the right thing. And also in Postgres, somebody came to me and said, like, ah, Boris, um, your talk about table partitioning in Berlin. I use your slides to give the same talk <laughs> to my colleagues in, in a company. I don't remember if it was a customer or not. So that's like a kind of like making a song and somebody makes a cover of your yeah. song. <laughs> yeah. Because they just pick up the slides. So that's that's kind of a very huge compliment because my slides, they don't even have bullet points, so they are not very easy to just pick them up and reuse them. It means that the guy was really paying attention to what I was saying in Berlin uh, because he was able to just reuse the slides. So, so I, I think that's, that's my motivation. I mean, I, I, I'm, now I'm convinced that I, that I can contribute to knowledge, uh, to increase the knowledge of the community, and that's why I like it. And apparently, this is one of the advantages of being extroverts, probably. Do you feel that you get enough uh, feedback as a, as a presenter? You're, you're making me think that um, you gave some gr great examples of feedback and, and it's enough to, to, to energize you and motivate you. And it reminded <laughs> me that any, any open source um, uh, developer community also often tells people just um, even if you don't have a bug to submit, but just let us know you're using the product. Just, um, you know, just say something, send us an email and th that little feedback helps. Um, how how is it as a presenter? Do you feel you get enough feedback? 
at the moment i think yes i'm getting enough it could be more it could be more and the good things is that people for some reason they are also able to tell me uh that was wrong or why didn't you talk about this so people also give me constructive feedback so uh, that's also very positive uh, it can always be more and i will appreciate a little bit more just to know like like i was doubting a lot about this monica dbr thing i mean is it is it good or not and then it's really that, good. That one, oh, <laughs> thank you. I wasn't getting enough feedback about that one because it's different. So, um, yeah, that one you need a little bit of uh, help to improve it and all this kind of stuff. So, I think, yeah, I it's think useful. human human nature. I think a lot of people, a lot of people, like our parents, mostly tried to teach us to not be selfish, but we're naturally selfish. And there's only 24 hours in the day, and we have a million things to do. Right? We've got to pay the bills and cook food and take care of family, and you know we have our hobbies and work, sleep. I mean, you get it. And so there's a lot to do, and it's hard to even make the one minute or two minutes it'll take to send someone a one-liner and pass that compliment along. I I try to compliment people as much as I can, and I don't think I do it enough. I don't think I, I say thank you or I tell people, hey, you did this thing and it helped me. And so, I don't know. I think we should all give each other feedback more, both positive and the constructive negative feedback too. That's yeah, my well, philosophy for the day. Yeah, I, I agree. And given that philosophy, I will publicly acknowledge then Alvaro because of, uh, because of him, I'm, I'm into open source and free software. When working with him uh, in the beginning of my career in IT was very, very important. So thank you, Alvaro, for all your knowledge transfer to me. <laughs> my pleasure. And all this good time. Yeah. It's been, it's been <laughs> a, a very nice long ride. Yeah. I remember being at FOSDEM, and I don't think it was 2020, right before COVID hit, um, the year I gave a, my first talk at FOSDEM, I think it was the year before 2019, and Leticia Avro was there, and she was really excited to be working on her very first patch to Postgres, yeah. and I think you were her patch reviewer. Alvaro. That's right. We sat on a freezing beer beer pub in brussels and we were going over her code but it was a nice uh i was i i was i wasn't i didn't think too much of it at the time but um i think it was well received from her oh 2017 oh really Okay. Really? Um, I know. <laughs> I, it's a long time ago. Um, I just wanted to give you that shout out as well. Like as a Postgres committer, it's not just your job to do development on Postgres and get it integrated, but you spend a lot of time reviewing other people's patches and other people's work, giving them feedback, helping shepherd it through the process. And so, um, you know, we all, we all owe a debt of thanks for that because, um, you know, it's not it's not your name on those features, uh, but it wouldn't happen without you. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been a very lucky ride um, for me, and I'm very grateful for the all the time that um, I've given Postgres and Postgres the, the, the opportunities that working on Postgres has given me. I thought so, of a question. Is it is it too late for me to open up? A, it could be quick. Um, yeah, go for it. I, I was just reflecting on over. how. 
I was just reflecting on how, how nice it is to hear you all who have been in the Postgres community longer. And you remember talks from different people um, that going, going way back and you've worked together, in your case, Alvaro and Boris, for a very long time. And it's, it's nice to hear that. And it's all part of the community building. So folks that join Postgres, they find a community that's warm and welcoming and supportive. And so I wanted to ask, Boris, I think it was um, Boris who touched on it earlier, that during the pandemic, conferences, in-person conferences um, were, were reduced so much. And uh, how did it affect the community? Is it coming back? Or, 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 or can we do that kind of community building through virtual events and remote events like we're doing now? Yeah, maybe take that uh, in whatever direction in terms of like, you know, how, how much do we struggle now? And because presentations are so much part of, and the conferences are so much part of community building. In the case of uh, the user group in Belgium, it was an opportunity to start doing online uh, conferences because it's always so difficult to find uh, sponsors for doing in-person events and people moving around because it, it's not like we are big, one big city, it's like a, a small country. So we, people still have to move a lot to, to go to a meetup. But when we started doing it on a regular basis online, well, I think it was good for the group. Um, so, but, it, but it's not that obvious to engage the people. You need to still give them um, an opportunity to react back and not just uh, listen and then uh, ask questions through a forum or something like that. Um, so for larger groups, I don't think it's that obvious. I think it is um, meetups and stuff like that can, can still benefit and, and build up a group like that. Uh, that's my experience. Yeah. Alvaro, what about you? Virtual versus in-person? Mm, I think an in-person conference has a value that an online conference cannot ever have. I, I mean, a virtual conference, of course, is going to have some value, um, but the ability to network live uh, in person with people, uh, not live, I mean, physically, uh, it is not replaceable. So, okay. Um, personally, I've, I've never felt motivated enough to uh, do an online talk. I was going to stop actually, but then Claire convinced me and forced them. <laughs> that was a good idea. So thank you for that. So that was a, that was a, a Cytoscon now. I'm, I'm glad that yeah. you have still this path to Cycon to continue because it means that there are going to be other events. Yeah. I think that, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like you haven't wanted to do a virtual conference presentation, Alvaro, but Boris, you just did one and your recording is going to go live. And I expect that you will have thousands of views of that recording ultimately, mm -hmm. right? If you promote it, if you share it, right? Obviously it all depends. Um, and apparently on YouTube, the first 24 hours matters a lot, right? To the YouTube algorithms. Um, but so, so what's your take bodies on like, is there, is there a place for both when you think about conferences? Yes, I, my, I think, I think it's, it's possible to have both. The, the thing is that it's difficult is to follow because when we go to a conference, we, our colleagues, they know that we are not available. But when we, you do it uh, online, you have to jump from one meeting to the other and then try to follow one presentation. Sometimes you even have time only to give your own presentation and that's it. Yeah. But that's a little bit difficult um, in terms of um, getting time for the conference itself. Uh, yeah. I actually it's... find that same problem whenever there's a conference in my in my area. 
like when I haven't had to travel to an in-person conference, um, and it's in San Francisco, um, it's easy to get sucked back into the office, um, back, you know, pre-COVID when I had an office. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. I think there's room for both, but the live presentation, the online presentation should be limited to half an hour. I think one hour is difficult to watch recordings. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that's fair. Okay. One last question before we leave today. Um, do you remember the first Postgres conference talk you gave? I'm just curious. Boris? Uh, I, I don't think I, I give the, the, I remember the first talk that I gave in the Postgres community, which was a lightning talk in Tallinn. That was fun. Um, but the first Postgres question, probably I give it in the Alfresco community. I don't remember. But my first, very first talk, it was in 1999. Uh, that one, I remember it really, really well. It was uh, with Felipe Hoffa, another friend of us. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, lightning talks are a really good way to get started, oh, yes. I yeah. think. But lightning talks have um, the problem that you have to be extremely funny or something because it is so easy to get next to somebody who was really funny and then present some something boring that is mm, um, yeah my, anyway any, I anyway you. I was going to say my first Postgres talk was in year 2000 uh, at the event uh, at the Linux event in Chile Encuentro de Linux the second one and my first international Postgres conference was in Mexico in 2004 um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you've been teaching people about Postgres for a while. Oh, yes. <laughs> Fair to say. All right. Well, Alvaro and Boris, thank you on behalf of um, both Pino and myself uh, for joining us today and uh, exploring this. I think that, you know, I guess, I guess my question to you, going back to the first topic or the first question of the day, why giving talks at Postgres conferences matters, is would you encourage people who have never given a Postgres talk, whether it's a user talk or developer talk um, at a Postgres conference, would you encourage them to submit? Should they absolutely. do it? Absolutely. Is it worth Abs it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Coming from Even an introvert and an extrovert, <laughs> both we say immediately, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's a little bit scary. So as as uh, a, yeah, definitely. as an introvert, I can say that it is definitely worth uh, overcoming the, the the fear and 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 doing it. It is it is a challenge and it is difficult, but uh, the benefit is uh, enormous. Can yeah, in my case, sorry, but just quickly, can new presenters get help from from the community? I can offer get... help if if you want to give a talk and then you don't know how to. I I offer my help. I mean, contact me. I can I, I help all the people already. Uh, but we don't have any. We should, we should have a group, kind of like a help speakers. <laughs> should that be something? <laughs> right? Why not? <laughs> like coaches, coaches yeah. uh, talk. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that sounds a little bit pretentious. But um, um, if somebody wants some feedback, I can always help. Yeah. I'm open to to, to doing that. A too. lot of. A lot of times members of the talk selection committee sometimes are willing to answer questions as well and give feedback before people even submit their CFP proposals. 
So um, I don't know if everybody does that. I know I have done that, and I know other other folks have as well. Because, um, you know, there are some basic tactics in terms of your CFP submission, like filling in the additional information section with, you know, your experience and what you're going to do to prepare and practice, particularly if you're a first-time speaker. Like, there are things you can do to make your submission stronger and to make it more likely to be accepted. So I think I think there's lots of help out there. You just have to ask for it. All right, buddies, Alvaro, thank you so much for joining us today on episode three. Um, this episode has been recorded and it will be published on YouTube initially. Um, we'll drop the link in the thread and then it will also probably ultimately be published on other podcast platforms too. Um, so, Thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's been really a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Pino. High five, Boris. Thank you both so much. <laughs> yes. <sir>. Yeah. <laughs> Virtual high five here. Yeah. All right. And thanks to everybody on the chat as well. All right. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. ciao.